Lolly, starting from verse 28 of chapter 12. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Adriel, thanks very much for reading the passage first. And if you've just joined us since uh, we started, uh, my name's Joel, and we are looking at Hebrews 13 today uh, for a passage. Well, if you're new here, one of the main features of the way we do things at Copenhagen Talks is to teach through books of the Bible. And the logic is quite simple. If you watch a movie, you start from the beginning, and you want to see how things develop till the end. And so I think it's really important to understand uh, chapter 13, to understand what's come before. But there's also an underlying conviction that God speaks through the human authors. So the better we understand what the authors are saying, the better we hear what God is saying. Uh, it's a human word, but also a divine word, uh, both human and divine. I think that really helps chapter 13 when Adriel is reading, you might have thought it's quite a random bunch of instructions, a bit of to-do list uh, right at the end of the letter. Um, but putting it into its wider context, I think it gives us a real understanding um, about what this passage is saying. Well, if you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, uh, you remember that this final section of Hebrews, it's all about the theme of endurance. How do you keep going to the end? And there are different strategies that the author has provided for us to endure, uh, to hold fast, to have faith, 
to endure suffering. Uh, what sort of images come to mind uh, when you hear those words? Uh, you might imagine someone with like gritted teeth, tense muscles, sweating profusely, uh, the, the language of endure. But here's the real surprise in our passage today. Uh, he ends off his advice to endure by a call to worship, a call to worship. Uh, so what comes to mind when you hear the word worship? Uh, you might think of someone with arms in the air or with their mouths open uh, singing praises. And so that's a surprise. I mean, the, the call to endure to the end is a call to worship. I want to notice that worship is really a big theme in our passage today. So look at chapter 12, verse 28. Uh, that's all halfway through the verse. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. So you see the word coming up, worship there. I go down to verse 10 in chapter 13. Uh, we have an altar. Uh, the language of altar is sort of synonymous, uh, sort of part of like worship language. Uh, verse 12, uh, Jesus the page, um, he was outside again in order to sanctify. And the word of sanctify is also linked to the concept of worship. Uh, verse 15, we offer a sacrifice of praise to God. And verse 16, such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Uh, altar, sanctify, sacrifice, pleasing to God, and see worship. Um, that's our theme for our passage today. And the call to endure is a call to worship. But here's the question. Uh, what do you guys understand by the word worship? Uh, what is your understanding of the word worship? Uh, my sense is that the word worship is usually used to describe um, the, the 15 minutes or the 60 minutes uh, bit of singing before the man stands up to speak at your service on Sunday. Uh, so worship is singing songs in church. Well, the problem with that definition is the Bible. Well, the uh, worship is certainly, certainly not less than singing songs, but it's, it's much more. I want to suggest that worship is an essential part of being human. And as we understand worship rightly, that would help us to endure. So what does it look like to worship God? Uh, if you're following the handout, we're on the first point, point number one. The conduct of worship, which is love marriage, and money. I look to verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, but thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Uh, do you notice what the author is describing? Uh, very ordinary day-to-day, -day, very earthy things described as, as worship. A love, marriage, and money. And so worship is, is not less than singing songs on Sunday morning, but it certainly involves uh, much more, all of daily life. So it's how you treat the person that you walk past on the way here. Uh, it's how you treat your spouse. It's how you manage your Barclays account. Uh, that's what it means to worship God. It's the very normal day-to-day -day human activities. 
But it's also very abnormal. I'm not sure you noticed that when the verses was being read out. I look at verse one again. Let brotherly love continue. The language of brotherly love here, uh, I don't think it means, um, you know, you kind of, I across the street, you see a guy, you go say, hey, hey, my bro. No, it's you address a bloke uh, just off the street. It's not um, just a random word of greeting. Uh, but more than that, it's genuine, familiar recognition. Uh, welcome to the grab seat over there. Uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 13, and you've got the Bibles that you can, can open and join in. Uh, let brotherly love continue. And the thing to realize in the book of Hebrews, it's very closely linked to this idea of sonship. Uh, if you have faith in the Son of God, uh, you are God's Son. You are actual family with the Creator God, uh, beyond blood relations. And so I do think we catch a glimpse of that familial uh, relationships here. Uh, those of you who are who just join us for the first time, you're very welcome. Uh, but you might not realize that this is quite a strange community here. Uh, there are some people who are, I guess, pretty senior in the office, uh, but some of them who are pretty new um, working in this area. Uh, some of you guys may be working in reception. And from one angle, there's no reason for this community together. But from another angle, there's every reason for this community together with real, genuine love. So the author says, let brotherly love continue. Uh, but also he doesn't stop there. Uh, he, he stretches out this command of love. I look down to, to verse two. as a call to show hospitality. Verse three, to remember those in prison. Um, so do you notice that the call to love this is like a concentric circle stretching outwards uh, to love one another, to show hospitality to strangers, and also those in prison. Uh, you might find the comment about angels a bit strange for 21st century years. I want to suggest the author is just thinking back to Genesis 18, a very common, a familiar story where Abraham um, hosted um, some strangers and they happened to be angels. I think that's the story uh, in his mind. Uh, nevertheless, the point is it's quite clear that the command is, is to love and those around you and those outside. Uh, let me just pause for a moment and speak to those who are regulars here at the lunchtime talk. Um, I get that there are lots of constraints in this community. Uh, you have deadlines, you have bosses, you have people to please in the office. Uh, but the call here is to express your worship to God by loving one another. And being three years part of the community here, um, I have experienced it a lot, even though with lots of time constraints. But as the author says, let brotherly love continue. Let it continue. Next, our author, he addresses the issue of marriage and sex. I look down to verse four. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Let marriage be held in honor. God's design for marriage in the Bible is, is clear. A marriage is between one man and one woman uh, in an exclusive marriage covenant, uh, where sex is exclusive within the marriage covenant. A man and woman, husband and wife, 
as Christ is the groom and the church is the bride. And so the call to worship is a call to, to express uh, honor, to esteem, to value God's design marriage. Uh, just to be clear here, the author is not pitting marriage against singleness. It's not saying that marriage is better than being single. Uh, he, he is saying for, for all, uh, either if you're married or if you're single, to esteem, uh, to show, uphold and honor God's design for marriage. And immediately, I'm, I'm sure you guys will know that this description of, of uh, marriage is radically different from society today. Uh, you might be aware that what was celebrated last Last month was Pride Month that celebrates a different design for marriage. And perhaps if you call yourself a follower of Jesus today, uh, you might feel a sense of shame uh, to uh, when you think of God's design of marriage. It's quite it's a real contrast to society today. But here the call that I also saying is to uphold in honor, uh, to celebrate it, to honor God's design for marriage. And so there's something to be said about the way God has designed marriage is, is beautiful. It's designed to be safe, lifelong, within the covenant, sexual intimacy reserved for husband and wife. I mean, it's a radical teaching uh, today, but no less radical than the first century when the author first coined these words. Uh, written into a culture where um, sex outside marriage was a norm, uh, where you would very commonly go to temples uh, to have uh, sex with the prostitutes there. A very radical as well in the first century as it is today. So the author says, well, let marriage be held in honor among all. Again, I recognize this is quite a tripwire issue in our culture today, and you may not agree with what our author is saying. And so I want to suggest it's worth kind of chatting around tables after uh, this talk, and you might sort of talk through some of these issues or to think how to navigate them. But finally, our author, he moves on to the next topic, uh, money. Interesting to, to note, 2,000 years ago, issues are still the same, sex and money. Uh, verse five, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Um, I think the words are pretty self-explanatory there. I'm not gonna say much more. Uh, Andrew, who will be speaking on the topic of money in a couple of weeks, I would do it more justice. And so that is what worship is. Uh, it's very earthy, it's day to day, it's what you do with your spouse, uh, it's how you manage your bank account, it's how you treat the people around you. Uh, that's what worship is. But why does this help a Christian to endure? You know, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, well, why does that help you to endure to the end? Uh, here, I think it's a very helpful quote uh, by quite a well-known US pastor, John Piper. Uh, he wrote this reflection a couple of days ago, reflecting on 70 years being a Christian. It's a long time, 70 years. And here's what he says. The root cause of apostasy or falling away or making shipwreck of faith or deconversion is not a failure to detect truth, but the failure to desire holiness. Uh, listen to that again. The main reason for deconversion is not a failure to detect truth, but a failure to desire holiness. You see, his observation was that the reason why people fall away is not because of theological inaccuracies, but a failure to desire holiness. 
a failure to worship God. So your direction, your orientation, your, your disposition in life, it's either to God or to something else. And which one you, you worship will determine whether you endure. And perhaps you might say, well, it's getting harder to be a Christian, maybe in uh, 21st century London, where, where culture is becoming more secular. And so our author, he provides encouragement. I look down to verse six, that's encouragement first. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. The word help is very significant in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Jesus he is our helper. Chapter two, he suffered when tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Chapter four, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. So if things are getting hard for you, when you are in a time of need, the Lord Jesus, he helps you. But you see, our altar, he is very realistic that uh, to, to worship God in a culture is very hard. And so he recognizes that worship is not meant to be done alone. And so in the next bit, he goes on to describe the community in which worship happens. And again, if you're following the handout, we're on the second point. Uh, the community of worship is an outcast community, an outcast community. Well, in the following verses from seven onwards, uh, you see features of a community being described. Uh, you have discussion about leaders, um, a call to not be led away by strange teachings. But the most surprising image of all is how he describes the experience of the community. I look down to verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. But the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Outside the camp. Now that image comes right from Leviticus chapter 16, verse 27. It's the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, as the Jews call it. It's an annual festival uh, celebrating the day where God atones for the people's sin. What happens on the festival? A big bull is killed and sacrificed, and its remains are brought outside the camp and burned. Um, outside the camp, um, that's a picture of judgment, where the bull is burning, a place of exile. At home, I, I split uh, the chores with my wife. Uh, she does the cooking. And guess what I get to do? Um, it's all the dirty stuff. I clean the loo and I make, I'm called to clear the rubbish. And that's my job. And you know how communal bins are like in summer? It's always in this like, corner of the residential area. It's dirty. It's smelly. And what's the worst about summer? Are oh, the flies. Oh, the flies are the worst in summer. But you see the place being described here is much worse. See, it's not just dirty. It's ceremonially unclean. It's defiled. You know, if you're a Jew, you don't go there. It's representative of death 
sin, and judgment. But here's a shock. According to our altar, that is where your Lord is. The place of exile is where Jesus is. Look down to verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. You see what the author is doing. He is linking outside the camp to outside the gate. And where is outside the gate? Golgotha, the cross where the Lord was crucified. A man of sorrow, a man of shame, the scum of the earth. You know, it's an amazing meshing together of images. Uh, the rubbish dump is where the Lord of the universe is. Uh, that's a really amazing thought if you just pause to think about it. And so because that was where he was, that is where we are called to go. Verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. See, the call is to, to identify with him, to go to him outside the camp, and to bear the shame he bore. Now, it's a shocking call to go to Jesus. Well, obviously, this language of going outside the camp, uh, it's a metaphor. Uh, there's no camp. There's no tent here for you to, to go outside. There's no gate here. Um, it's a metaphor to describe the experience as you identify with the person of Jesus. But it's a very strong metaphor, nonetheless. Um, it's a call to be willing to experience the shame, uh, to be an exile, uh, to be an outcast. And so the community of the new covenant people uh, will always be outside the norm of society. Uh, I'm not sure about you, but personally, I'm very, I'm very cautious about groups adopting a victim mentality, you know, that it's always us against the world. But I think what's really compelling here, that there's a historical basis um, for us to, uh, to be willing to join with the outcast community. Because outside the gate, Golgotha, is where Jesus was crucified. Uh, he was an outcast. Uh, the world hated him, his teaching. And so no servant is greater than his master. It is a call to be willing to bear the reproach he bore. And I think the biggest surprise is right there in verse 15. The place of outcasts, the place of exile, is a place of true worship. Verse 15. And as we go out to him, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You see, it is with this outcast new covenant community where you can offer true worship to God as you praise him, as you do good, and share with one another. So how do you endure as a Christian? Well, here's the answer. You worship with the outcast community. There's no stronger image, the rubbish dump, the ash heap, the place where the Lord was crucified, the place of his outcast community. And so that should be the default feature of any Christians across the world. 
uh, in many of them in the world today, uh, Christians are indeed the outcast community. It's also true that across history, things are quite different. Uh, you might say in this country, uh, maybe a couple of decades ago, uh, Christians were definitely not the outcast community. But it's true in the recent times, uh, society has, has changed. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus today, and if you hold to God's design of marriage, uh, you are yes, old-fashioned, you are bigoted, and you are an outcast. But the thing to realize is that this experience is becoming more normal than less normal. Because being the outcast community is the default feature of being Christian. So things are becoming more normal rather than less. And so this will help you to endure. You know, he sets your expectations straight. And no servant is greater than his master. Uh, let me try to break together what we've seen. Uh, we saw what worship is. It's very day-to-day. -day. It's very earthy. It's, it's, you know, how you treat those around you, how you manage uh, your Barclays account. And the community of worship, uh, the default feature uh, is being an outcast. And though this may sound challenging, perhaps, something amazing uh, is happening here. If you're willing to love those who are not like you, you're willing to uphold marriage, you're willing to identify with the person of Jesus, and that is doing nothing less than what you were made for, uh, to be truly human, to worship your creator God, uh, to worship with the outcast community. And so as we finish, uh, I want to encourage you to consider reflecting which aspect of worship has been most challenging. Is it a call to love those around you? Uh, is it a call to honor marriage? Is it a call to not love money? Or to identify with Jesus and risk being an outcast? Uh, personally for myself, I, I find uh, identifying with Jesus and being an outcast is really the most ha challenging one. And I think there's something within us that we want to be liked by those around us. And so there's a constant tug of war uh, in all sorts of communities, whether at work, uh, you want to fit in, assimilate with the world, or you want to identify with Jesus. And so the encouragement today is to know where Jesus went outside the gates, Golgotha, hung down across an exile, a place of outcast. And the encouragement is to just follow in his footsteps if you recognize him as Lord. Uh, for some of you here, um, you've got early years in your career. You, know, you sort of just started um, the, the forays into the corporate world. Uh, here's encouragement. Uh, there's going to be a, a temptation to assimilate with the world. And perhaps today's passage is an encouragement to set your expectations right. Uh, to recognize that identifying with Jesus will almost certainly make you an outcast. So accept that up front. That's what it means to follow a crucified Messiah. I'm not saying be weird. Uh, don't, you don't have to be weird about things, uh, but just recognize there's a categorical difference of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, for those of you who have many more years on your back, uh, my encouragement to you is let genuine love continue. Uh, keep upholding marriage. Don't love money. Place your hopes city. Recognize your privilege and the nitty-gritty day-to-day. You can worship God. And this is what makes you truly human. And this is what will help you endure to the end.